The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Mike, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Had the microphone off, and for some reason, I wasn't ready. Oh, my gosh, buddy. You think, you know, you've done this so many times. I know. What's the matter with me? Oh, my gosh. Well, listen, um, I hope you don't mind, but um, before we get started, I got a quick story. A quick story. That's okay for you. You know, um, so I have two daughters. You know both my daughters. And um, we did uh, the public school system K through 12. And uh, we were very happy with that. We were very happy with that choice. Good, really great schools. And then when it's come to college, you know, um, uh, they have, you know, got to choose the colleges they've gone to. And they're very happy. But, you know, I, I went through K through 12 public school system myself. And then so did both my wife. Yeah. And then so have both my kids. And so, um, you know, again, I've had some issues here and there, but overall it was a positive experience. But, you know, it's a, it's a big topic today. People talk about, you know, all the kind of different stuff in the public school system. So today we have a familiar guest who, you know, I would say is a bit of a public school person expert. He's an award-winning public school teacher, John Martinez. Well, Glad to be John. Here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Award-winning. Award-winning. That's a real deal. It is. And you have a master's degree now too. I do. So you have a master's degree. You've been teaching now for a while. I don't know if you have tenure yet or if that matters, if that's a thing. I don't know when that kicks in, but it hasn't yet. <laughs> hasn't yeah, yet, no. yeah. Um, and so we always preach about coming back. And, you know, we've had you talk on different topics, but today we wanted to talk specifically about education. Okay. All right, so this is my, my first question. This is off the top of my head. But sure. When you're uh, working on indoctrinating all these children with your Marxist ideas, it, did, did you, do you work that at the union level, or are you guys up to your own individual Marxist plans? It's a little Which, bit of both. Is it a little bit yeah, of both? Yeah, yeah. that's what I, that's what yeah, I figured. No. You know. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm yeah. kidding. It's more fascist than Marxist. No, that's a joke, too. But, John, seriously, though, when you're working on the next, you know, coming up onto a school year and you're working on stuff, what are the biggest challenges that come into your mind? Like, like when you're, you know, and I'm mentioning there's some day-to-day things, like you got some kids that maybe don't have a jacket and it's cold, or... You know, you have some issues like that, or you have discipline issues or lack of parent issues or structural issues. What, sure. what are the big ones that come in your mind as a teacher? Yeah. So one of the things to keep in mind is that I'm in a Title I setting, which means I'm in an urban school where the government looks at the demographic of our students. And they said that overall, this body of students is under-resourced. And so that's the demographic of students I've worked with the entire time I've been a public school teacher. My very first year teaching... I keep in mind that when I, f- I first taught, uh, I, I switched from the business world to being a elementary school teacher. My mom, who was a longtime teacher, said, don't do it. And I didn't listen. I went ahead and became a teacher anyway. Uh, but I, one of the things that shocked me the most walking into that classroom was the different levels of students I had in, the, in one single classroom. So mm. the first year I taught was fourth grade. And I've got kids who couldn't read any, and there was different reasons for that. Some had been in the in our system the whole time and just had had not progressed the way they we'd want them to. Some were brand new to the country. So like, that's a very logical reason that they don't know English yet. And so I was shocked. I was like, I'm, a, I'm like a one room schoolhouse teacher. And then I've got kids at seven, eight, nine different levels. Mm. And I'm expected as an educator to figure out how to move all those kids. So 
you, the idea is like traditionally you think, oh, fourth grade, they're all kind of within this little range. Some kids are higher, some kids are lower, but they're all about fourth grade level. And I'm going to kind of move them teaching pretty much the same material and it'll work for all of them. And that was the thing that kind of hit me in the face is, man, I've got kids on like so many different levels. So get your head around. I've got to figure out how to get move kids uh, an adequate amount of educational growth in one year. But there's like nine or 10 or 11 different lesson plans or strategies that have to be utilized because they're on such different levels. So I think that's the biggest thing that's like, as an educator, from the on day one that I walked in that classroom and still today is how do I move my lowest kids and my highest kids and the same uh, material and the same strategies won't work for both. And I, I would imagine it gets exponentially more challenging at, at a level because then you have the same, you have parent issues as well, right? Like, and what, and what I mean by that, yeah. it's like, if the child is new, uh, then the parent is new. If the yes. child's learning English, maybe the parent isn't learning English. And that doesn't mean they're not a great parent or an intelligent parent or hardworking parent, but it does create a dynamic of how do you communicate with that parent? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a challenge to communicate. One of the issues we have at our schools that uh, for given uh, the economy, given where they're coming from, a lot of parents are both working. Mm-hmm. So there's an assumption sometimes in the schools that I, that I work in that it's all single parents. And that's, that's not the case. There's a lot of single parent homes and that has a lot of challenges. Uh, but there's a lot of parents that to make ends meet are both working full time and they don't have time to come meet with a teacher. Right. They don't have time to show up for the conference. They don't have time to help with homework because they're just trying to make sure they can pay the rent and there's enough food in the house. So that's another level of of complexity. Yeah. Well, and I think there's probably, I'm being silly when I say this, but like, if you got some uh, public school in a wealthy area and it's like, you know, a couple of days before the holidays and the parents are like, oh, we're going to go to Aspen. So we're just going to pull our kids out of school last those two days. And, and, and those last couple days for any holiday are kind of hard. It gets yeah. crazy. But your kids don't typically get pulled out because the parents yeah. are working. Yes. And so like you're actually have a much busier school day on that last day of right before spring break or whatever, because those kids need to be in school because their parents don't have a place for them to go. Almost all of our students show up. Yes. Right. And so you're, you're going through that whole scenario as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to us about when you're explaining all that dynamic, what, what do people who, who are hearing this and need to know and what, what kind of, what would be better resources or understanding you think would be helpful to people be reflecting on? You know, what, one of the ideas too, is just that there, there's a level of graciousness to those who choose to serve in the public schools. You know, John, we've talked before, one of my fears is this will be the last generation where we have a traditional school setting. You look at the numbers of people who are going in education, it's dropping precipitously. And the number of people getting out of education for a multitude of reasons, basically they're saying being a teacher is too hard for too little money. And I'm looking at it, at the increase in AI. And, you know, we've already had technology integrated into the classroom for several years, but as that technology gets better and better, I don't know how they will find enough teachers going forward. And I think they'll turn to technology. So in the future, our, our grandchildren, or maybe even our, our, you know, yeah, our grandchildren would be in classrooms where it's somebody who can pass a background check and make sure the computer gets turned on and it's AI teaching our kids. So as a, as a society, if we want to have a traditional setting where it's, you know, a teacher with 20 to 20, you know, 28 students in a classroom, if we love that idea, we've got to uh, figure out 
how to make the, the conversation around being a teacher and around education be less combative and more. We, we all need better understanding and, and not always this accusing tone. And there's a lot of accusing tones on both sides of all the arguments. Yeah. So, well, real quick with that, John, just for what it's worth, like, you know, again, I went K through 12 public school system sure. and, um, you know, a lot of great things come out of it. But let me tell you about the bad things about that. Right. And so yeah. this is back, back in the you seventies know, when I went to school, uh, some of my teachers were terrible, were yeah. terrible. And I remember being in middle school and there was a kid that was, uh, it, it, when I've when encountered this, it was like he was bullying. He was asking for money. Come on, man, give me a, give me a dime, give me a nickel, whatever. And then, uh, later on, I, what I realized was he had no lunch money. And he was just hustling for money to buy food every day. I just want to point out how old you are saying I'm he's hustling you for a dime or a nickel. But go yeah, ahead. No, no, go no. Ahead. no. Yeah. Well, I, I can remember when school lunch was, a, uh, it was a quarter dime and a nickel. That's wow. what you buy. And then like it jumped up to 90 yeah. cents or something like that. But the, but the point, I'm old, but, but those are yes. point about it. What I'm trying to say to you is like, I don't look nostalgically back and be like, oh my yeah. gosh, you know, America's public school system was perfect in 1981. I don't think it was. There was bad things happening. Oh, sure. I went to... Uh, I guess technically three different high schools, but the main two high schools in both of them, there were cases of uh, teachers sleeping with students. Like that mm. happened, like in the, that, that police song, don't stand so close to me. And I'm like, yeah, no, like that happened. Right. And so I'm, I'm trying to point that out because oh, I, sure. I, I just don't like when people are like, things are so bad today. Like in some ways they're better. Right. Yeah. And part of the reason why I point that out is like, you think about the future in AI and in some ways that can be better. Oh, and by the way, I meant to mention this, like I'm dyslexic, wasn't mm-hmm. diagnosed to my forties. Right. So all those teachers, I had missed it, right? And we have a lot better research on that kind of stuff now than we used to. But when I think about that AI dynamic, there's some of these kids, they need a hug. Um, they need a, hey, I'm proud of you. They need yeah. a, like, I believe in you and that kind of stuff. And like that humanity is really critical. And, you know, what I want to say about your public school education is 100%, there's tough things. But one of the beautiful things about education is that we can all look back at that one or two teachers that made a tremendous yes. impact. And sometimes yes. because it's so bad around us, they stood out even more. Right. And what a shame that in the future, our kids may not have that, that experience with those amazing teachers you and I had. Well, and I think what I'm trying to say is, is I think, I think teaching is important and tough. Yes. It's important and tough. And we've got to keep wrestling with that as a society. Part of it is like acknowledging and providing resources, doing everything we can to keep uh, the drama down and like re- releasing issues. We're going to talk about a couple of those when we come back from the break. Uh, but the other way, be grateful about how some things are better, you know? And, and you've really applied yourself. You've done the eco club and you've done some other stuff. Some teachers really get into coaching mm-hmm. and uh, there are some like great resources. And of course we've had a boys and girls club on here and yeah. they do outstanding stuff. That's additive, yeah. right? So a lot of positive things to work at. Uh, but man, we, we've, People are not in the system every day. You need to be respectful of the complexities that they're dealing with. And that's, that's really what I wanted to hear from you on that one. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we come back. We're going to talk about a CRT book banning and teachers' unions. Is that okay? That's, Perfect. All right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back to the cross-conversation with our good friend, John Martinez. As the largest property tax practice in North America, Ryan's professionals possess the local footprint and knowledge backed by a team with national expertise to help organizations minimize their property tax liabilities and ensure valuations are fair and accurate. 
With the Florida tax appeal deadlines approaching rapidly, local experts at Ryan work proactively with many jurisdictions across Florida well in advance of the August trim notice mailing to ensure our clients receive maximum tax savings. Guys, I use Ryan, and I hope you will too. Crossmock Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full-service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally to serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to -to day-to-day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. This is John Crossman, and I work with a lot of vendors in the commercial real estate industry. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite ones ever is my friends over at Construction Unlimited, Florida's premier roofing company, and they bridge the craftsmanship with the pinnacle of innovation. They're just one of the best groups because of the trust, the expertise, the quality, and my favorite part, they're really committed to the community. When you're thinking about roofing construction needs, keep Construction Unlimited at the top of your list. Once again, here is John Crossman. We are back here at the Crossman Conversation with John Martinez, award-winning teacher, uh, father of three college kids now, by the way. Almost. Almost. They were not in college, but accepted to college, yes. which is exciting. So you're doing something right with these kids. You know, so you do know something about what you're doing. Uh, so, John, I want to tell a story, and then I want to segue it over to your world. Is that okay? Sure. So I have seen many times in society, I think people well-meaning in what they're trying to do, but then it doesn't always apply well in scale. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I ran track in college, and when I was in college in the in the early 90s, uh, there was a lot of issues with athletes, things like that. And then, you know, the 70s and 80s, you sort of, in that era, man, you had college athletes that never took a class, graduated illiterate, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, you and I remember when they first started doing things like um, making sure athletes had a minimum SAT score, and it was like 700 or something, you know, whatever right. it was terrible. And they've gotten better at that. You know, athletes now in middle school and high school, when they see rock star athletes, they start tutoring them. They start making sure, but it wasn't like that mm-hmm. back then. So there was this movement of like athletes are just athletes and they're not having a full collegiate experience. And so they decided to pass this NCAA rule that when you're not in season, you can only spend a little bit of time with your coach each week, you know, whatever it was. And so the thought process is we need to get these kids, you know, more involved in being regular college kids. The problem is, is that if you're playing football or basketball uh, or even baseball, when you're out of season, you really don't need to be with your coach that much. You know, like if you're football and you're out of season, you know, you lift weights and things like that. But when you're a gymnast, when you're track, when you're swimming, non-revenue sports, you train the same amount year round. You know, if you're a runner, like you see year round. You never stop. You never stop. So when they passed that, I guess it was like in 91, uh, the top 10 athletes in all non-revenue sports were forced to drop out of college. They had to. They had to quit because they were training for the 92 Olympics. And and so it was like, hey, NCAA, you made no impact on football at all. And you just forced the top 10 swimmers to drop out of college. Hmm. Right. And so, again, it, it, its intention was good. But then in reality, 
And, and, and maybe it helped out some people or some situations, but in other ways it was not great. So I was thinking about that, you know, when we had this whole you know, book banning thing. I mean, I think, of course, you and I would agree if there was some book that had age-inappropriate information in it, um, you know, like that, you, that shouldn't be in there. And by the way, also, sometimes books evolve. Like, you know, what we used to see as something that was, uh, you know, cutting edge or whatever was helpful you know, later on. You're like, ah, maybe that depiction of women or minorities is not exactly great. I, I uh, We went through this thing in our house where we watched... Um, a bunch of classic films and we watched uh, Philadelphia story and Chinatown. And those are two of like greatest hundred films ever made. Both of them, the lead male characters punch the lead women in the face or do something violent. Like, it's like, wait, what? It's like, like, you know, like Catherine Edwards gets shoved to the ground by right. Cary Grant. You're like, uh, dude, that's assault. Right. So I do see how things can kind of evolve. So in the public school system, you have this, uh, book, book banning that went on. And again, like, I think you and I would be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. But on the flip side of that, I got to imagine it's caused some duress because it's like maybe some books that, you know, like uh, you would think, well, that's good. Not really, maybe not, I wouldn't maybe think be banned, but banned. But then you have to deal with, well, what am I putting in its place? So in a, just in a practical way, does that make sense? Is, am I getting that context right? I'm not trying to discredit people for making a rule because I think they, you know, they're, it's well intended, but sometimes at a practical level, you with all these kids in these different backgrounds trying to unpack that and figure that out. Yeah. One of the difficult things, I agree, we need to make sure kids are protected from seeing things that aren't age appropriate or what we would all consider to be inappropriate. One of the difficult things is like, how do you do that? How is that played out? And there's a lot of teachers that decided the way the law was written, they just removed their whole classroom library. They just said, it's not worth it. It's too risky. As the law is written, I could lose my license if I have a book in my library that someone says is not appropriate. And the, and the lists are available to the public. And if someone from another place could look at the list and say, hey, I don't like this book, and that teacher could get in trouble. And so a lot of teachers have just said, I'm not going to have a classroom library. For me, I decided I, I was going to have it, but it took me probably 30 hours total to scan in my library. And I'm still waiting to get some books approved. Uh, and that's been, you know, weeks. It, it's just a very difficult system. I, I do think that it, it was a good, it was well intended. It's, it's to go back to our graciousness for teachers. It's just a whole nother level of work. And one of the difficult things about teachers is that every time a new rule gets put in place, what it typically means is teachers have to do more work or the, the educational setting is you know, no longer as good as it was because they just took it out because they considered it to be too risky. Right. Well, and look, you know, if um, if you're Jewish, you're a Jewish kid and you go to school and then afterwards, you know, you go to Jewish school and you're learning that, you know, like Greek uh, has done a Greek school, things like that. Um, how you and I grew up and, and, and Mike, uh, the same, I mean, we go to Sunday school. And so a lot of different cultures have additional resources that add a layer of education. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't learn about the store, great stories in the Bible in my public school system. Mm-hmm. I learned them at home and at Sunday school um, on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's additional or... I was a Boy Scout and learned more things about leadership. Those were additive things. But when we talk about your kids, where maybe you have two working parents or a single parent uh, or new to this country, there's a language issue. Like, again, it's just another layer of resources, right? And so we're not having to try to have an argument like, oh, don't ban the books. It's like, well, we're getting the bad part. It's like, what are we putting in to help, yes. right? And so do you have any thoughts on that? Is there anything else you think we should be doing to help out in those spaces? The... the Overall, I would say the number one thing any 
person could do that would want to help is if they would volunteer to go read to students and kind of be like a little bit of an educational mentor. Just that extra 30 to minutes to an hour a week can make a huge difference for a student. And there's a there's a program in OCPS called Read to Succeed mm-hmm. where most schools have it set up to where volunteers can come in. Mm-hmm. And just having another adult that cares about a kid. Mm-hmm. As a teacher, I've got, I, I teach two different groups. So I've got about 48 students. Mm-hmm. I can only give those kids so much of attention. Mm-hmm. But as, a, as an adult, if you wanted to come in and give that attention uh, every week to just read, check on that student, check on them, uh, help them with the reading a little bit, it'd be huge. That'd be my number one suggestion uh, to help in, the, in, in my setting. Come, come read to my kids. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, John. It's like, I, I get really burnt out on any kind of context of, um, well, you know what they should do? <laughs> you know, like, oh, man, I can't I can't handle that. People that get in debates are like, well, you know what LeBron James should do? You know what Elon Musk should do? You know what uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden should do? And I'm kind of like, look, I can't even deal with that. You know, like what I've got to do is like focus on what you and I can do. Right. And, you know, to me, it's like the availability of time. Right. Like. Yeah. When you're a parent with young kids, you know, time becomes an issue. Um, I, I'm willing to bet there is some percentage of uh, population that's uh, adult and maybe single or adult grown kids. And it's like, guys, maybe, maybe not watch cable news. <laughs> you know, like, oh man, you know, like, and it, and it does have to be like, hey, volunteer 40 hours a week, but it could be volunteer like, you know, four hours a week. But part of it is like reading a story and then help giving context to the story, right? Or and connecting with kids. Can I tell you a quick story about the cable news? Sure. My daughter goes to public school here in Orlando, Florida. She went to visit some family in Memphis. And they said they made a comment about all the crazy stuff she was learning in history class in Orlando, Florida, based on what the stories they were seeing on cable news about what our governor in the state of Florida was trying to prevent from being taught in the history classes in the public school. So they were a hundred percent convinced from their cable news show that they knew that my daughter is being taught some, in their words, crazy stuff. And my daughter's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't, I never got taught any of the stuff you're saying that you heard about on cable news. But you know, so, I, what's well, yeah. the funny thing is, you know, it's the, the opposite of that, but it's on the same continuum line is people would say to me like, Oh, well, you know, like uh, no one knows about the trail of tears that was never taught. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course, not. I, I I know all about that. Or yeah. they talk about the slave trade, and you're like, triangular trade. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, you know, molasses, the slaves. Like, yes, I was. I, what are you talking about? Like, and I don't know where that narrative comes from, uh, but it, you know, it happened a long time ago. And it happens now, and that kind of stuff. But again, guys, stop talking about that. Start talking about what you can do. I have a a friend of mine that's an attorney, and he was like, uh, I'm a constitutional attorney, and I was like, well, that's great. I'm like, why don't you like endow a scholarship at FAMU College of Law and then volunteer at a guest lecture once a yes. semester and just talk about constitutional law? I mean, like if you're, I meet people and they'll tell me like, you know, in the school system, they're teaching blank, blank, blank. And I'm like, guys, I guess lecture all that. I don't know what you're talking about. Like yeah. I, I never have protests or whatever, but if you're really worried about that, you know, come volunteer to teach on that or read on that. And, and there's lots of good subjects. And by the way, math's math right? Like math is math. Like, and we need more math promoted. And, and by the way, you can always have somebody come in and like, um, talk about Shakespeare. I saw a, a podcast thing about Shakespeare the other day and I'm like, man, I am 52 years old. And like, that is beautiful. Like I, it, I comprehended it in a different way or, uh, who's the guy Neil deGrasse, right? Like sometimes he'll explain some about astrophysics and like, 
a dyslexic guy like me is like, wow, that makes sense. I never knew that. I didn't understand it, right? So anybody who has passion for music, you know, playing the guitar or you know, eco club and stuff you've done, you didn't you tell me you had a kid that never seen a butterfly before? Uh, never had a saw a butterfly and never ate a strawberry before. Yeah. What? Come yeah. on. The first strawberry they ate was one they planted and picked off a plant. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Right? Yeah. So to me, it's like, uh, let's try to be uh, more proactive in helping. Any I, other, uh, go, ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So John, one, the idea of like getting in and teaching the thing that you know about or you're passionate about. One of my favorite stories you tell is that you went to a club at USF and we're speaking. I think it was a real estate club. You're in real estate, so you don't get paid a salary. You get paid based on how much work you do and how many deals you get done. And you were talking about how, in you know, p- positively about the system we have here called capitalism. And for these students, it was the first time they ever heard anybody like shed a positive light that made that sounded interesting to them about capitalism. They'd never heard positive things about capitalism. You're just a guy talking about your experience there, yeah. and again. That's just you showing up, talking about the stuff you care about and you know about, and it changed, like it blew their minds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and to me, it's like, look, and you could go to other stuff. Like, I, I see people post these things like, we should teach kids financial management. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Do you want to ask John Martinez? Hey, John, by the way, can you teach him, uh, you know, balance a checkbook on top of everything else yeah. you're doing? Like, yeah, but like, if somebody wanted to do that, and again, you don't have to change the entire school system. It's like... You know, I always, you know, at the end, I always say support your local HBCU. And why I say that is like people listen to this across the country. Just look at a map and what's the closest black college to your house and like try to do something to support them. You always tell yeah. like these small businesses are, you know, or even larger businesses, don't trade a DEI committee. Just adopt your local black college and, and invest with them. Like that's yeah. it, right? And so the same thing could be is like whatever's a local school by our house. Quick last story. I got to wrap up. Pepper, you know, Pepper, my yeah. dog. Uh, Pepper, uh, got loose by our local elementary school and she destroyed one of their kickballs. And so, um, uh, I then went and bought like a dozen kickballs and I had Pepper and I write a apology note together. And then we just went by the school and we dropped off that dozen kickballs. But in my mind, it's like being mindful mm-hmm. about like, I don't have kids in that school. Right. But like, Hey, I wanted to help out, you know, and of course we caused a little damage, but you know what I'm saying? It's like that you're whatever your local school is. So, all right, uh, John Martinez, we're going to wrap up. Uh, but thank you for loving these kids. Thanks for being a great dad, by the way, and having great kids of your own. And thanks for all you do to for all the Crossfit Conversations. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, this has been the Crossfit Conversation. As always, support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman Conversation, produced by a Crossman Career Builders Mark Radio Production. 